Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Asanda. Otherwise, it is talking women, talking food, actually, but mostly we are on the show today. With the team, Hazel Macuzini and Rob Parkin, and uh, we're all with you through until 2 o'clock. Unashamedly food-orientated, in fact, we're going to be talking as the Taste of Cape Town is underway right here in the Mother City. We're going to be talking to Laura Lube. She's uh, with the International Taste, uh, Taste Festival Coordinator, so we'll find out how the tastes are going all around the world. Twenty countries all around the world have their own tastes. We'll also be talking to Alex Main. She's the Marketing Manager for Tastes here in South Africa, and we have three, aren't we lucky? Later on, we'll be hearing about the Confessions of a Hungry Woman. We'll be talking to Sam Woolwich about her new book. And the other day, I had the chance to do a Kate Malay cookery class, and I brought back uh, some stories and some tidbits from Hamida Jacobs. But first, we're going to start with another in our Women's Organisations uh, Groups Initiative series, all about the hearing all about the Black Africa Lily Collective. So we'll find out about that. No, what's news, but I thought I would give you instead three of the... I found that there are six absolutely must-eat foods for women, and I uh, only managed to find three, so I'm just going to tell you quickly what they are, the first three are. The first is low-fat yoghurt. Well, as a health food, yoghurt is almost as old as, well, good health itself. But uh, it seems that it's uh, not just... It's, uh, it can, uh, oh, it contains all sorts of wonderfully goody things, and I think what I'm going to do is find out all the details here, so I'm just going to give you the short version. So low-fat yoghurt, put that on your list, your shopping list. And then fatty fish, things like salmon, sardines and mackerel. We've heard this again and again. And the healthy thing about uh, these fatty fishes is the omega-3 fatty acids uh, component. So don't live without it if you can afford it. And remember, a lot of tin fish is uh, fatty fish. And the other one is beans. Well, they're low in fat and they're a very good source of protein and fiber. And they have all sorts of protective, protective effects against heart disease and breast cancer. And uh, it, oh, it's also said that they may play a role in stabilizing female hormones. So if you want to stabilize yourself, grab a bean. There you go. You're listening to uh, Otherwise. Stay with us. Gear yourself for 22 exciting regular Friday evening appointments because Nuit for Nuit is back. We're going to rock you again with brand new music challenges, bubbling contestants, brilliant guest artists and our red hot band. Kick off your shoes, phones off the hook, on with your music hats and come and sing, play and laugh along with us. See you every Friday evening at 7.30 on SABC2 for the usual fun and games associated with Nuit for Nuit. Can't wait. glasses and are confused about all the different multifocal lens types and their different prices. Does your medical aid cover the cost of an eye test and spectacles? Ask Specsavers. Log on to our website and use our new easy find wizard to quickly track down answers to all your eye care related questions. Or click on live chat and get instant optometric advice from a qualified optometrist. Go to askspecsavers.co.za Otherwise... Otherwise, where we have a primary focus on food today, I guess it's Friday, I guess we're all feeling a little bit peckish and winding down for the wonderful weekend ahead. Well, I'll be telling you about those uh, really good foods for women, and I'll give you the other three next week as soon as I can. But just going back to the low-fat yogurt, or yogurt, 
Um, I've also found that there is a suggestion that it may decrease the risk of breast cancer also. Very strong evidence that it can reduce problems associated with irritable bowel syndrome, also inflammatory digestive tract disorders, both conditions that impact more on women than on men. In addition, yogurt can help reduce the risk of stomach ulcers and vaginal infections. So there you go, put low-fat yogurt right at the top of your list. Certainly sounds like it's going to do good things for you. Well, it's Friday, and on a Friday, what we've been looking at here on Otherwise are women's organisations, initiatives, centres, museums, galleries, whatever, right here at home and across the world. So what we're looking at today is one right here in uh, South Africa. It's called the Black Africa Lily Collective. And tomorrow they're going to be holding a fashion and beauty expo, but I think their prime focus is to empower women and young women in particular. Well, we have on the line Nomazulu Taukabong, and uh, she's going to tell us all about it. Hi, Nomazulu. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Nice to have you with us. Thank you very much. Now, um, are you, are you yes. involved with the Black Lily Africa Collective? Yes. It's actually, I um, am the operations manager, which ultimately means I'm the security guard, the marketing manager for the, um, the art gallery where the, the expo is actually happening. It's called EST 1912. Okay. So, um, so you're involved with EST, but Black Lily Africa Collective, are you involved I, there too? I'm part of the collective um, okay. because what we do is we run uh, different projects to foster an entrepreneurial spirit among various interest groups within uh, uh, Soweto. So Black Lily Africa is really focused at uh, empowering uh, women and particularly young women. Uh, because we find that there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of skill in, in the township, but there's very little access to resources. Um, so what we do is we partner up with young people, young women, to actually um, get them to foster an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, really. Okay, so you're empowering them in two different ways there. You're empowering them to become entrepreneurs, but also through the events that you start to sort of empower them to broaden their scope, I suppose. In, in fact, the event is in, initiated by them. I mean, we, in terms of uh, ESC 1912, what we do is we partner up with young people to say to them, look, we have this space, which is a wonderful uh, uh, space um, with, with lots of art, and, and it's quite a bespoke space. So, look, you have, you have a, 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 an interest, you have a talent. Let's see what we can do with it, and also let's see how you can become an entrepreneur because, you know, we, we have a very... A strained economic paradigm right now. There are very few jobs, and it's up to people to actually create jobs. Um, so we're trying to create that spirit of creating jobs for yourself and creating jobs for people around you. Yeah, I suppose the first thing about the entrepreneurial spirit is that it's got to be motivated. It's got to be stimulated. Um, of course. And is, is that particularly why you're working with young women? Um, that is particularly why I'm working with young women, um, but I think that um, the important element is that a lot of them are uh, very, very young, very talented, but they don't have resources. Mm. I mean, with, with this current project, we've actually had to um, uh, do trade exchanges with uh, businesses with, uh, within the area to actually get the resources. So, in fact, I, I did very little of the work. I did a lot of the the project management, but they did all the footwork, you know, um, they did all the, the looking for resources. Um, they, uh, Revlon is sponsoring our, our, uh, some of our, our cosmetic elements. So they, they actually uh, put that together for themselves. So I'm actually very, very proud of them because I didn't, 
I, I didn't do that much. They actually did most of the work. It sounds like somebody, or maybe maybe the young women themselves, have been very creative. I mean, trade exchanges, it sounds like they've been on the road there doing a lot of bargaining. Of course. Of so, course. And, and it's, in, it's in the interest of all these companies to be on board in an expo like this because it means they're going to get their name out. Have you, have you found that some of the young women, how many are we looking at? How many women are involved here? Um, there's about 15 of them. Um, some of them have been integrally involved. The core team is made up of eight young women. And then beyond that, there's others that are in the entertainment space um, that have come on board. But the core team that has actually driven it is um, eight young women. Okay. And they're in the makeup and in the fashion industry. And so the, really the issue is that they have a lot of talent, but very few resources, but they've gone the extra mile to actually motivate the different businesses to actually give them assistance. Who? At this stage, we've, sorry, yeah, okay. we've had very uh, fledgling kind of um, uh, support, you know, because we really just wanted to prove that um, it's possible to create a lot out of very little. So yeah. this is our, our, our first initial try, but we're going to be doing this every two months. And we know it's going mm. to go, and we know it's going to be wonderful. And it's been a lovely effort on, on their side. So I'd, I, I, I'd encourage anybody to come. There's going to be lots of wonderful experiences around beauty and fashion, but also looking at inner beauty, because there's also going to be a motivational space, um, beauty therapy. So there's going to be a spa with uh, small-scale um, therapies. There's going to be fashion shows. There's, there's a the, lot uh, your, your, your team of girls have been out there bargaining and doing their trade exchanges. Have they, have they, they sound like a really enterprising bunch. Have they gone up beyond, beyond Soweto or have they stayed? With, is, is it all Soweto? Is it a serious Soweto style? It's, it's, it's not even just within Soweto. We really just we've sent a, a word out to as many people within the Johannesburg area. But what we're looking to do is that we're looking to create a network across the continent that okay. empowers men, women. This one's specifically focused at beauty and fashion, but we're looking at other elements such as performance, such as careers in the film industry. So we're trying to understand where the interests of young people, uh, young women are, and uh, how we can actually make that grow together. Cool. You're thinking big, I can hear. Of course, so but we start small right now, yeah. and we push at it and keep going. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's sort of stimulating for everybody, because if they can make a go of this one, then it will, it will have a ripple effect. These eight young women, these core young women that you're talking about, what sort of training have they had? You'd say that they're into makeup, some of them are into performance, some of them are into clothes. Have they been trained, or is this sort of natural talent that they've got? And, and the, most of them have been trained um, through Revlon, particularly in, in the makeup space. The ones that are in the design and, and fashion space have gone to design schools. But as you know, we're living in a in a very difficult economic paradigm. Yeah. You know, the, the economy, even even when we do look for sponsors, there, it, there's a difficulty in, in actually finding money for projects. But what we do what we do, do is ask them for any resources that they can um, allocate to us, and we make do with those. So with this with with this uh, initial initial um, attempt at the, at the expo. We're really trying to prove ourselves, not just to sponsors, but to our audience, to actually make the program grow. I think everybody in the team has a lot of faith in each other, but also because they muscle in and they really work hard. You know, they go the, 
the extra mile to make sure. I, I think because they all have a vision of where they where, where they need to be. They all want to to be big, you know, yeah. and to also carry it forward. Um, so I, I I only see wonderful things. I only see uh, beautiful things and growth. Um, and I'm so so impressed just by their efforts right now. I think they really practice a, a high level of professionalism with very few resources. And um, yes, and it, it's empowering to be part of a collective too. And when you're trying to do something by your own, it can be very lonely out there. But you know, with a team of them all together, it certainly sounds like it could work. Have you got a website? Because if anybody else in the country, you know, if there's another group of young women who would like to sort of be part of it, you know, maybe it can network and spread across the country. Have you got a website? At this point, we're really on Facebook. So if you okay. really wanted to find us, you can go to the EST 1912 page. Also, if you're, if you're, if you're beyond being a young woman, a young woman, uh, as a young person, you can go to EST 1912 because we're running an initiative with the NYDA to run business workshops with young people um, in this space to try and, and, and assist them with a really understanding what kind of services can be offered, but also if you need assistance with, with, a, with a business plan, um, how, how you'd get that assistance and what a good business plan looks like. Okay. So these are really just efforts going forward, small efforts to help people, yeah, young people empower themselves. But we also understand that young people have to have a good energy and energy that, that, that wants to drive forward, you know, that wants to, 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 to go ahead. So we're really just giving young people. Okay, Namazulu, we're going to leave it at that. What I'm going to do is give yeah. out the Facebook details once again. And do keep us posted. Let us know how it goes. Super. Thank you so Thanks a lot. So Pleasure. Namazulu Takubong, she is the Ops Manager for EST 1912. Check their Facebook page. You can find out a little bit more about it. But it's happening at the... Uh, EST 1912 Arts and Culture Hub in Soweto and it's happening tomorrow um, so do get yourself along there if you can check their Facebook page EST 1912 In the Saturday play this week the final part of Under the Skin Jerry Mufuken in conversation with Gertrude Shaw I don't know the answers to your questions You do and you won't tell us I'll give you some time to think, huh? Hey. So now just remain there. Hey! You didn't think of running? Of course, you can't run away. From the sixth case. floor. From the sixth floor. Oh, oh, okay. Go and stand by that At window. At one stage, he said I must stand next to the down. window. Look down, I stood next to this window. Stand there and look at the view. And when I come back, you'll tell me the truth. Salye Gertrude, huh? Won't you? Wow, Mutimwaka. I stood next to this window. Beautiful kapak. I require. Don't miss Under the Skin, the final part of Jeremy Fuking in conversation with Gertrude Shope this Saturday evening, just after the seven o'clock news. Yeah, I don't miss the play on Saturday nights. Always good value if you're at home alone, and it's uh, something to listen to. Well, if you're in Cape Town and you're at home alone, don't be, because what you can do is get yourself along to the Taste of Cape Town, which is underway as of yesterday. It's uh, going to be on tonight and all over the weekend, and it's a lovely, sparkly, sunny day here in Cape Town. So it's a great idea to do that. It's what really triggered us to talk about food. 
And uh, we've got two very uh, special people to talk a little bit about it. We've got, uh, first of all, all the way from England, we have uh, Laura Lube. She's the International Taste Festivals Coordinator, which means that she coordinates all the taste festivals all around the world. What a wonderful job is that. Also got Alex Main, who's the marketing manager for the taste festivals right here in South Africa, and I think that would be Durban, Joburg and Cape Town, would I be right? Correct. Yes. However, let's start with you, Laura. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Taste is turning 10 years old, so taste festivals worldwide turning 10 years old this year? Yes, we started 10 years today in London, and uh, so this year is going to be a big celebration for us with lots of exciting things happening and lots of guest appearances from other international shows. So you started 10 years ago in London, why? What was the original plan? Uh, well, the idea was to give people a chance to try the latest, greatest and hottest restaurants. So. Uh, basically come out for a fun day and try lots of different dishes from the best restaurants in the cities and a celebration of the local food and also give people a chance to interact with their favourite chefs and meet the chefs that they see on TV. And You know, I'm just thinking that London is crawling with restaurants. I mean, millions, maybe not quite millions, but certainly many thousand. How do you select? I know here in South, and certainly in Cape Town, we're quite selective about how many restaurants we can take and in London, how many, how many days is it going to take you to get around the taste of London? Well, we actually have 40 restaurants in London. Four so, um, so somebody else has been quite selective. <laughs> so you may not even be able to try uh, a dish from every restaurant in one session just because there are so many. Unless you're jolly hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so London is where it all began. And now I think 20, you've got taste festivals in 20 different cities. This year we'll have 20 cities, yes. So um, we've expanded over the years to Australia, Dubai, South Africa, um, Amsterdam, Italy. And this year we've got some exciting new launches as well. Uh, we just had Taste of Mumbai a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, we've got Moscow, Stockholm, oh, Oslo, oh. and a very exciting new one in Paris. So, Oh, gee whiz. I mean, I suppose if you could spend the rest of your life going to all the different taste festivals all around. <laughs> Moscow. Do they have, a, have you been to the one in Moscow? Well, it hasn't actually happened yet. It's oh, in uh, November. Hmm. Lots of borscht, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. And also, my goodness me, that's, it all sounds very exciting. So is the plan to just grow and grow and grow, to go and find different cities all around the world who, and see if they've got any sort of gourmet offerings? Yeah, I mean, uh, the plan is to grow to lots of cities around the world, but um, obviously they have to have a good food scene yeah. and um, good restaurants. Yeah, and you've got to rev up the public too, because it's no good going along and finding a handful of restaurateurs and the people don't come. Yeah. I just wonder how it's going to be in Moscow. Will it be in the summertime? No, or be uh, well, no, it is actually going to be an indoor show. It will be our only indoor taste because it is so cold in November. Yeah. Um, but they actually have lots of um, international chefs coming to Moscow and opening new restaurants. So the food scene is getting getting pretty good. Oh, well, Cape Town foodies, if you're listening, maybe Moscow is the place to head off and just be sure that you keep nice and warm. However, it's interesting that Moscow's is going to be indoors. Ours here in Cape Town is very much outdoors, Alex Main, isn't it? We've got we've got three, Joburg, Durban and Cape Town. Yes. Are they all outside? I mean, have we managed to crack good weather for all of them? Yep, all outdoors. Um, we've actually been very lucky with weather over the years. Um, in Joburg, we do it at the Monte Cassino outdoor event area. Um, in Durban, we do it uh, in Suncoast. Um, and in Cape Town, we're at the Greenpoint Cricket Club. Hmm. 
And have we had to rev up our crowds? I mean, certainly in Cape Town, it, it looks like they don't they don't need to be persuaded. They're there in droves. No, there's uh, there's such a long? wonderful food scene in the city. Uh, you know, a lot of people um, really love supporting the chefs. Um, you know, the wineries come out uh, to join us as well. So uh, the Cape Town food scene, they don't need a lot of encouragement. And this year, I mean, it's our sixth year doing the event, and uh, the numbers last night were fantastic. It was our opening night. Um, and it looks as if we are in for a very packed weekend, um, so we're thrilled. Cape Town, it certainly is a, it's a bit of a foodie paradise, isn't it? What about Durban, and what about Joburg? Uh, do they... Well, Joburg's been running the longest. Uh, we've been there for seven years, uh, Cape Town for six years. Durban we launched last year, um, so brand new show, um, and only eight restaurants, you know, and only 10,000 people, but a really, really encouraging start. Um, the show's got a lot of potential, there's a wonderful food scene in Durban, so. You know, we also we always talk about Durban and Cape Town and Joburg, and I think, what about those people in Port Elizabeth? What about those people in the Free State? Is there is there a plan? I mean, um, Laura, do you, do you think there's a plan to, to do more in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, I think there's more cities that we could definitely Absolutely. go to. Absolutely. No, for sure. Have, have we got our sights on any, Alex? Uh, we do. We do. We're in talks. Um, but, uh, but, yeah. I'm not telling. PE, <laughs> yeah, Pretoria. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Yeah. And has it worked for the food industry? I mean, once people have gone along and they've had little nibbles in their plates and they've used their crowns, do they then rush off back to the restaurants? What, what's the feedback here? The feedback from the restaurants is business booms for months afterwards. You know, a lot of people come to the Taste of Cape Town because they want to see who are the latest and greatest restaurants on the food scene. Um, and it's a way for them to actually find out, you know, like restaurants from Stellenbosch and Franschuk and, you know, new, uh, new chefs that are on the scene. So it's a way to kind of plan your culinary uh, tastes for the rest of the year, really. Yeah, your travels. And the wineries as well. And the international aspect is not to be overlooked here because I don't know if people come from other parts of the world to come to the various tastes here in South Africa or indeed anywhere else. Laura, do people, do you find that people are, are taste travellers? Uh, yeah, I mean, people, last year we had a couple of people in Joburg visiting from London. So we definitely do get people... Uh, who've been to a taste in their own city and travelled to another city to try the local food and, and see what's going on over there. So. The, the, yeah, local food. I suppose in, these, in this time of this era of fusion food, it's hard to say really who's doing what. I mean, you wouldn't go to the Taste of Cape Town and say, gee, this is so Cape, because it's likely to be Thai, it's likely to be everything, it may not be Moscow, but it, it, it's likely to be everything else. Yeah. Do, you, do you think we've lost the plot a little bit on that, Laura? You know, that if you go to a particular city, you're not necessarily going to taste regional food, you're just going to taste good food. No, I mean, I think you need to have a good selection of different types of cuisines. If all the restaurants were the same, then uh, people wouldn't go to them, or, you know, people want to try different things. So I think you need to have a variety and... Mm. Yeah, you do need to have a variety, but nice to also, you know, support local. Uh, we're yes. going to be hearing from a Malay cook in just a minute and from a woman who knows all about local food. She's right here with us. She's Sam Woodridge. She's going to be confessing to being a hungry woman. But have we made an effort in the selection of the different restaurants in all three cities to, to get something that's really the flavour of that city? Absolutely. To be representative um, of all the different communities that make up that city, I think, you know, Laura's got a very interesting job in the way that she travels around the world to all the different shows, and no show looks the same. Uh, because, as you said, although there is very global taste in different cities, there is always um, something that is unique about the shows here. 
um, you know, Fein Dry Restaurant, uh, you know, cook with a lot of Fein Boss. Um, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of the different restaurants kind of have got very South African touches, even though they are very global influences. But that's the, you know, that's the world we're living in at the moment, so... Yeah. Now, Fain Dry, that's at Thorns Delta, isn't it? Correct. So, so we're looking not just in Cape Town City, we're looking at the sort of broadly the surrounds. Yes, yeah. How many restaurants are there? Twelve restaurants for this show, um, and yeah, very exciting. Okay, so it, just give us the, the lowdown. It's opening, well, it's opened already. Yes. And it's on tonight and yeah. over the weekend. What are the times? 6.30 to 10.30 this evening, okay. um, and then we have two sessions tomorrow from 1 o'clock till 5 o'clock. Uh, we open again 6.30 to 10.30 tomorrow evening. And then Sunday is the longest session from 12 to 5. And that's normally the, the big family day where everyone comes with their kids. Um, it's typically the biggest session we have. Have you have an eye on the weather? Yes. Looking good? Yes, looking very good. The build-up was, was slightly stressful. It's been, uh, weather's been slightly unpredictable in Cape Town the last couple of days. But... Uh, really stunning weather for the show. It's good, all drying out, lovely. Let me give out the website if anybody would like to check up what's on offer there. It's www.tasteofcapetown.com, tasteofcapetown.com. But, Laura, if anybody wants to know more about the tastes all around the world, want to book themselves in for Moscow, is there an overall website? Yep, they can check out www.tastefestivals.com. Tastefestivals.com, there you go. Book yourself around the world. <laughs> Lovely, Laura LeBay, thank you very much. Alex Main, enjoy it. And if you'd like to know more, www.tasteofcapetown.com, right here in the Mother City, or tastefestivals.com. 1.30, time for the news headlines with Asanda. Thanks very much, Asanda. Well, in a minute, we're going to be hearing from Sam Woodledge. She's a food writer, and she's described her book called Confessions of a Hungry Woman as a love letter. Now, isn't that nice? But first, before we get on to Sam, the other day I signed up for a Kate Malay cookery class in the home of Hamida Jacobs in the book up right opposite Atlas Trading, the Spice Store. So we're going to start with the curry. So what I did in the meantime, I braced the onions. So you can come and have a look at that. And I braced the onions without using any oil. So come guys, have a look. Let me just switch on this now. So, what I did was I braised the onions without any oil. And how do I do that? So what you do is, when you do your onions, you now you know when you cut the onions, the moist of the onions is, um, the onion has a little bit of moist when you cut it. So, when you cut your onions, you put it in your pot. So, what, the, what happens is, because of the heat, it turns brown. And then once that is nice and brown, then you add a little bit of water. But if it's not brown enough, like mine is nice and brown, did you guys see how nice and brown it is? Then you just do the whole process again, let it dry, let the bottom turn brown, not burn yet, hey, just brown. And it has a very nice smell, it smells like it's caramelizing. Well, I have to tell you, it was a very nice smell and we did have a wonderful time and we made our chicken curry and samosas and chili bites and all. But finally, I got a chance to talk to Hamida to find out how she got to be doing these classes. When I got married, as I explained to you guys, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't cook. So I went to work, okay, and then I fell pregnant with my youngest daughter, and then my husband said, no more working for you. And then I decided, okay, what am I going to do at home? And then I started this business from home. And then I went to the South African um, Cape Town Tourism, and they've got like a few tour guides that is part of the Cape Town Tourism. And I got them to come and do the cooking course. And it's been running ever since that time now. Yeah. But the cooking itself, I mean, you couldn't cook. So how did, you, how did you learn? Basically, my mom, my mother-in-law, my two sister-in-laws, they are very good cooks. And they helped me a lot 
where the cooking is concerned. So um, whenever I needed a recipe or to do something, I just contacted them or my mother-in-law that we, at the time stayed with us. She also helped me a lot of the different cooking techniques and the different spices and things like that. Yes. I think it was in her own interest because she was pretty shocked that you couldn't cook. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because there's only two things that I could make, hey? And I, I was keep on making it because I cannot cook. And then she told me that the one day, no, 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 this is not enough. <laughs> Please. Since that time, I've been started to cook. And um, with her help and everybody's help, I'm like here now, you know? <laughs> You say that you couldn't cook, but apparently you could make rutis. That was the one thing you were good at. Yes. But why? Your mother didn't teach you? Okay. I grew up with my aunt. And my aunt was one of those people that whenever you are in the kitchen, we were not allowed to touch the, the food or do the cooking. But I was allowed to do the rutis. And that was the only thing that I could make. And I, could, I was allowed to, to cut the onions and, and peel the potatoes and things like that. That's why I can cut onions with my eyes closed and peel potatoes like, you know. <laughs> and so basically that is how I started. But the rutis was the one thing that I could make. Because my aunt, that was my job, doing the rutis. Well, you certainly make them like a professional. In fact, there's quite an art. I had no idea that ruti was, so, um, was such yeah. a, an important ingredient. Just describe to me how you make it. Oh, well, basically, you have... I try to make it as simple as possible. So it's a basic gel that we're making. So it's just like um, a cup of flour. Then you half the amount of flour to the liquid. A little bit of salt, a pinch of salt, and the water. And then you mix it into a dough. Then what you do is you, you roll it out flat... And then you put in a little bit of butter. So the basically, the more butter, the better. The crispier the, the rutti will be. And then you roll it, okay? And then you smack it against the table. And that's the fun part where everybody enjoys it, hey? And then when it's nice and long, then you do like two swirls at the end. And then you take the one swirl on top of the other swirl. And then you push it down, okay? And then that goes into the fridge for about 10 minutes. And then you take it out and then you re-roll it. And then you put it in your pan with a little bit of oil. There you go. The secret is the butter, yeah, and the technique. Because the spanking, the heating, and the stretching it makes it, makes it fluffy. It's like you, you put the egg into the rutti. Because once you, you, you fry it on the pan, then you see how it puffs up. So that is all the air inside there. And the, the rutti, it's crispy, yet it's soft. So it's a bit of both. And it's very nice, and you can eat it with, you don't have to eat it only with curries. You can eat it with your chicken, you can eat it with breadies, so it's quite nice, and it's something that's very versatile. You can use it for everything. <laughs> so there was the roti, there was the samosa, which you, now you had samosa leaves so that you didn't yes. have to make the dough. Just how, does, how do those work? Okay, the samosa leaves is basically the same dough like we did for the um, roti. Then what you do is, but it's just different technique. And then what you do is you flat it out also, but you make it the size of a saucer. Then you have like four, four um, saucer size um, rutis. Then what you do is you, you put a little bit of oil and flour. And then you take the one on top of the other and you put oil and flour again. So the oil and flour just prevent it from sticking. Then what you do is you roll it out flat. And then you put it in the baking sheet and bake it for about two to three minutes till it puffs up. When it comes out, then you take the sheets apart as hot as possible. And then you put it into a damp cloth, so the damp cloth just keeps it moist and prevents it from drying out. Yeah, there you go. And then when your sheets are all done, and then you cut it into the size that you want it. You've got your samosa strips, yeah. 
and then the art is in the, the folding and the pocket making. Yes, yes. You first have to create a little pocket. So because it's three corners, you have to be very careful because the, the, the corners, what happens is if it has a little bit of a hole and then the oil seeps in there. So you don't want that because we want a nice healthy samosa, you know. So what you do is you, you have to check if the corners are closed. So the, the, the technique is when you create your pocket, you at the beginning of the folding, you have to make it as tight as possible. So then you keep on folding it like you fold the American flag. And then when you come to the end, you just put your, your glue, which we made from water and flour. And then you just stick on that and then you close it up. Because when you deep fry it, it prevents it from becoming uh, cooking out. Yes. So the whole menu was chicken and potato curry, the yes. rotis, the samosas, chili bites. It makes a complete meal. But the, the most important thing are the spices. And yes. you've, got, you've got a packet of spices, or at least a, a range of spices that yes. you use. Which, which are those? So it's the cumin, coriander, the fennel, the turmeric, the chili powder, and the leaf masala. So that's the six spices that we use for the curry. For the chicken filling, we use the same spices also. Then I've got a cheese and onion filling also, which is just cheese and onion and a little bit of barbecue spice. And then you, you, you put that into the samosa as a filling. Yeah, and then when you deep fry it, the cheese will melt. So that is nice. And with the chicken and meat, you have to cook it because it doesn't get, in, get enough time to cook in the, inside the samosa, so it has to be cooked already. So because the samosa fries very quick, and you just fry it until it's brown on both sides. Yeah. The wonderful thing is that you are right across the road from a spice haven. They've been in existence for many, many years, as long as I can remember. And they've, yeah, Atlas Spice Shop, they've been in this community for as long as I can remember. They import the spices from India. And, I mean, for me, just to go over to the street and go buy the spices, it's so easy. And they've got, on a regular basis, fresh spices, so which is, like, very good for me. Yeah. So it's a spice haven, as you said. <laughs> and have you been here ever since you can remember? Well, I grew up in this area, the Boa Cup area, and I've lived all my life in this area. So when I got married, I used to stay up in the flats area. And then when I got married, I just moved down to Wales Street, which is here. And ever since I've been, I cannot imagine myself living anywhere else but in this area. And this is a very close-knit community. Everybody knows everybody here. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Don't you just love it? And can you just absolutely smell the spices? Well, if you'd like to find out a little bit more about Hamida's classes, and she's uh, lekakombase at mweb.co.za, lekakombase at mweb.co.za, and her number is 021-423-3849. And the clinking in the background, incidentally, in case you were wondering, it's actually her husband and her daughters doing the washing up, and I thought that was pretty good. So there you go. Well, fabulous. Well, it certainly sort of warmed us up. We've got the taste buds going because next we have a woman in the studio who is confessing. She's here to confess to being a hungry woman. She's Sam Woolidge, and it's lovely to have you with us, Sam. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Interesting to hear, um, <coughs> to hear uh, Hamida's story, that she, when she got married, she actually couldn't cook more than one dish or two dishes, and her mother-in-law nearly had a heart attack. She said, that's not the way to feed my son. What about you? Did you grow up knowing how to cook, or did you have a sort of a, an aha moment when you learned? How was it for you? I didn't learn to cook when I was growing up. My mum is a very good cook, and I think often that is quite intimidating. Especially, and, and so she wasn't part of our narrative to, to teach me how to cook. I read cookery books with her. I remember that very distinctly, is paging through books and looking. And I always said that I loved words more than I loved food. So I was, I was always taken up by old recipe books, 
but no, I, I learned to cook quite late in life, in fact. Well, it, it didn't take you long to start writing about food because you've sort of uh, you've been trawling the food world, <laughs> food industry for some time, and this book you call it a love letter. Is it is it the love affair that you've been having with food? It's, it's a love affair of many things. Um, I started writing a column for Woolworths Taste magazine, which was called Confessions of a Hungry Woman, and and the hungry refers to many things: to the hunger for food, for experiences, for for love, for for intimacy, for for connection. So I started writing about food. And it just became this thing that um, I was traveling with my husband and I was experiencing different places through the food because I think that's how you really experience a place is when you eat its food. And and as we were traveling and and eating amazingly exotic foods in in wonderful countries, there was always something that reminded me of home. And I think Mm. that is, and I think the longing homesickness is often associated with the flavor. For me, it was cinnamon. And through the years away I realized that I, I was longing for home and so it's a love letter to my country to my family you know my husband and to the people I'd met along the way so it's I think it's it's very hard to remain not unemotional about food it is such an emotional thing <laughs> <laughs> it is you're talking personally of course <laughs> yes of course no it is it's, it's a blessing and a curse in many ways it's, it's just an emotional thing it's also a nostalgic thing mm. I mean clearly from what you say it's it's they say that smell um, smell is one yes. of the most durable sensations mm. and I suppose taste would mm. be very soon mm. after that so when you travel around do you make notes um, do, or, or do you just keep it with you and get into the kitchen or get behind your computer and it all comes flooding back? I don't make notes, strange enough. I, I, I just, I eat a lot <laughs> and I experience a lot and I, and I make my husband Jacques taste a lot. I mean, sometimes he'll say, do I have to? I say, we just have to try this chocolate. <laughs> um, and, and I often find that if I keep a small sliver of chocolate or a small bit of tart or, and then I start writing about it and there's flavours. I mean, you can remember, the same way as you remember smells or sounds, you can remember a flavour. Uh, you know, I'm just flicking through the book mm-hmm. once again, and there's there's so much. I mean, I was saying I hardly know where to begin, but I mean, let's dip into Mexico, for mm-hmm. instance. Interesting to hear that there's going to be yes. a taste of Moscow. Who knew? Um, Mexico, it's, it's a riot of hot hues, fiery flavors, chaotic celebrations, and stru- slightly strange yet intensely moving spirituality. And the food? The food, I have to say, was slightly disappointing. Oh. Um, um, I think. No, because I think that what you know is Mexican food is often Tex-Mex. Mm, mm. Um, so, and when you get to Mexico and you start tasting the local food, it it doesn't have that familiar flavors that you would imagine. An enchilada, you, th- you picture it a certain way. It was slightly more frightening than I thought. I think I, I, you know, I remember eating a lot of sort of soupy things with bits of meat in them. I remember once thinking, oh, there's cartilage here, which is, of course, my worst. Mm. <laughs> um, very good with sweet things, yeah. I mean, and, and, yeah, and who can say no to, you know, to certain things. But not the most exciting of places. Yeah. In fact, if I had to choose between the art and the colours or the food, I would choose the art and the colours. Yeah, that's interesting because that kind of negates the thing about you are what you eat and a nation's, <laughs> uh, a nation's personality yes. comes across in the food. Somehow Mexico I, missed it on the food. Yes. Well, no, I don't, I don't think they missed it. I think maybe... As an outsider, I didn't yeah. get to fully understand it. Do you go in search of it? I mean, I'm moving swiftly mm. on to French Polynesia, so <gasps> there's nothing ordinary about your travels. Do you, do you search it out? Do you go and sort of find the places where you're going to get the, the real regional food? How do you? Um, the travels were because my husband was, 
working as a doctor on board the cruise ship. So it was like a lucky packet. It was, we never knew. We, in fact, I was quite sad when I saw the Queen Mary depart because that was our home for eight months. So it was like a lucky packet. We would get, Jacques would get posted, and that would be a certain route. So we got lucky with French Polynesia. But once I'm there, I, you know, I'm avidly looking and going and going to the back streets. I always find the best foods you find on the back streets of places. And you follow the locals. Yes. Tell me about the Queen Mary. What's the food like on board? Because it's so huge. It's like a sort of floating block of flats. But they, and, and people do a lot of eating on cruise ships. Oh, they eat non-stop. <laughs> non-stop, 24 hours a day of food. Um, do you know, the Queen Mary, I think, is one of those few places that... Yeah, I hope I don't get in trouble saying this. It's quite politically incorrect. There's a tier system. You know, there's the buffet where everyone can eat, and then they've got the Queen's Grill and the Princess's Grill. So um, there is a very exclusive type of restaurant where those who are in the suites with the private butlers get to eat. So there's <gasps> fine dining if there you're on the top. Actually, there's fine dining everywhere. The yeah. food is surprisingly good considering the numbers. In fact, and as far as all the ships who were on the Queen Mary 2 was exceptional. Well, before you get into any more trouble with the shipping lines, <laughs> let's yes. move on to, to something more personal and leaving aside your travels. <laughs> it's, this book is also, amongst the many other things that it is, it's, it's a great read, um, which will please all the people who say, you know, I always take my cookbooks to bed with me. Uh, it's almost like a sort of a who's who of the food industry, certainly here in Cape Town. We've got all the foodies, yeah. we've got Petergoff Wood, we've got... Uh, <laughs> Karen Dudley, we've got the Manleys, you name it, you're befriended them. Do you find yourself attracted to foodie people? I like people who get excited about food. Yeah, people who get really enthusiastic about a good brie, or as the case of Mariana and Peter in Stanford at Mariana's, you know, a good fig. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I like people who, who get excited about flavours. There's just... I relate to them. Yeah, yeah, and, and it comes back to, I suppose, it's similarly with the country, it comes back to their personality. I mean, we've got, we've got, who have we got here? We've got, that's you. Yes. We've got all sorts of friends. We've got uh, Jacques Badenhorst. That's my husband. Exactly. Yes. And each and every one of the, the dinner parties that mm -hmm. they appear to have has got its own particular style. So if people invite you around for a dinner, yeah. are, you, are you there with your cameras? And your, no, well, no, no. How, no. This how does was, it work? This was... Um, I mean, these were obviously, the, every profile was photographed. So, no, we just, we just, I, I'm a big on help yourself food, so I make big bowls. And, and we just try and crowd as many people as we like around our house, because I, I like a house that is filled with, with laughter and conversation. Yes, and it expands, I mean, you have got recipes, you've got yeah. many, I'm looking at Gruyere souffle. <gasps> and I actually could do that. That was the really? big test. Could I do Mariana Estrezen's Gruyere souffle? And I did. And that means that anybody can do it. Because right. that was all these recipes had to be that if I could make them, anybody can. They're literally foolproof. Well, I'm going to stop looking at that because this is <laughs> making me hungry looking at it. I just want to touch on your, your childhood. And you talk mm. about your mother never really consciously uh, teaching yes. you how to cook. But yet we have lots of nostalgic moments in here. We've yes. got milk matters and we've got the forever fruitcake and you being a, yes. you being a fairy and, and you and your dog. So obviously food was quite... Uh, integral. Have you looked back on those on those formative years? I, I do. I remember um, I went to boarding school, which was a very sad, um, very sad time in my life. I was unhappy, and I remember my father taking me to boarding schools on Monday mornings, and stopping off at a little local cafe called Lorna Dune, and he would say to me, um, "Choose your tuck." And it was a dreadful, dreadful time in both our lives. Is him taking me, and I would buy food. And I remember then food became a comfort for me. Mm. Um, food, that's the first thing I remember of food being a comfort, was being lonely and in boarding school. Um, 
I think food is an emotional thing, and, and it is a very personal story because what I did discover through writing is that if you ask someone how they feel about a certain thing, yes, with regard to milk, they'll remember something about their childhood. Food is a great trigger. It, it's a great trigger for saying this is when I was happy or this is when I was sad or I felt this way or I remember feeling inadequate the first mm. time I ate sushi. <laughs> it, it's, it's a wonderful you trigger. You know what, this is so much more than a, fo- a cookbook, isn't it? It's a sort of the psychotherapy <laughs> of, of the, eating, uh, the eating industry. It's absolutely lovely. Thank you so much. I'm not even going to ask you about boarding school food because I'm afraid no, of what no, you're absolutely. Sam, lovely. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure that this is just the first of many cookbooks because you have so many stories to tell. It's been a joy. Thank you very much. Sam Woolidge and her book is called Confessions of a Hungry Woman and it's published by Straight Lifestyle. Well, next up here on SAFM, it's time for Sharp Shop, the children's programme.